The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by Hello, hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You're listening to episode number seven of the New Age Christian Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about church, specifically who, what, when, where, and why. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but this journey with New Age Christianity has made it very difficult for me to go back to traditional church concepts. Uh, I actually went to a church this last weekend, and OMG, it was painful. <laughs> so, you know, I have to admit, I'm trying to build a virtual church here, and a lot of a lot of what this is going to become, I don't know, because I have only the old model to base everything off of. And today, I'm, I'm hoping to have a few nuggets for myself as I share my thoughts on church and who, what, when, where, and why. So without further ado, let's get started into the discussion. All right, everyone. So episode number seven, epinode, episode number seven. Uh, talking about the church, who, what, when, where, and why. For those of you who have not listened to all of the episodes, uh, a major lens that I hold for this whole project called New Age Christianity is the fact that time is changing. And with that change in time, I believe the church needs to change with it. Uh, you have probably heard a lot of people say that, you know, the traditions and the the, the time-honored blah, 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 insert excuses here, um, or insert fears or whatever, that, oh, we can't change this, we shouldn't change that. I mean, down to the silliest things like what music and type of music should we have, rock music, should we have, should we have four-part harmonies? I actually knew of a Nazarene church that split because half the choir wanted four-part harmonies and half the choir only wanted three-part harmonies. I mean, good freaking grief, people. Anyway, I could go on for hours about all of the stupidity that I think many of us have experienced, especially if you're listening to New Age Christianity. You probably have your fair share of horror stories in the church, and this is not going to be an episode of those, although that could be an entertaining episode. I'm going to have to write that down. <laughs> oh, man. It'd be like a call-in show and just like a come-to-Jesus meeting, and then we could all sing Kumbaya at the end. Anyway, so this isn't about all of the horror stories of church and unpacking what's wrong with it. This is more an attempt to try to paint a picture for what it could become. If you don't understand the realities of the creative process in humanity— one of the things that people in our culture have not really seemed to figure out is that destroying and picking apart things, while cathartic at times and make, may make you feel better, it's not creative and it doesn't give you the answers. So 
Uh, case in point, if you've got darkness in a room, how do you get rid of the darkness? We well, don't shove it. You don't like gather up the darkness in a bag and take it out because all that remains is darkness. You, you have to turn on the light. So I'm not trying to, this is not going to be an episode about gathering up all the bull crap that is in church and throwing it out. It's about trying to turn on the light for what is coming. And specifically, I, I love the format or the framework of who, what, when, where, and why for certain subjects, because it really does kind of cover all of the foundational principles of a concept. And I'm just going to roll right through them pretty simply. And keep in mind, like, these ideas are simply that. They're ideas. Uh, those have who have traveled on this New Age Christian journey with me for a while have seen how many iterations and how many changes that have been made in the definition of this journey. Um, it, it's, it's had different names. It's certainly had different intentions. And it may continue to shift and morph and become something uh, even different than what I'm presenting in these original episodes. The point of the entire journey is to figure out what the church is supposed to look like and what this next age is going to do for all the, all the known comfortable traditions that we have come to love and cherish. And in some ways, a lot of us don't love and cherish them because they've been sources of pain and anguish and separation from God and from others. Anyway, so who is the church? If you're going to talk about the church, you have to. You can't have any intelligent conversation about the church without first going back to the, the meaning of the word. We all assume the church is Christians. We all assume the church. I think most people are past the the past the season and the ignorance where we think the church is a building. But if you're not, if you're one of those that looks at it and goes, well, the church is that place that I go on Sunday morning. No, no, I'm sorry. The church is the people. If the building were, were to burn down, the church would still exist. And we say that, that, let me just park right there for a second. We say that, people preach that from the pulpit, we talk about, yes, the people are the church. It's not a building. The people are the church. It's not a building. And then when that conversation's done, whoever you were talking with goes, so when are you going to church next time? And I want to look at him and go, okay, where did I lose you? We are the church. <laughs> and as far as how I understand that, this entire conversation we were having was being church. It was churching. We were churching together because where two or more are gathered, there he is. And we need to really hold ourselves to the definitions we say we believe. If you say you are the church and then you automatically assume that that's Sunday morning and there has to be a gathering and there has to be worship music, two fast songs, three slow songs, an offering, and so on and so forth, I'm just telling you, there, there's so many subconscious beliefs that you have not yet addressed that when I first started this journey, it was really hard for me to wake up on Sunday mornings and not feel obligated to go do that. And yet I told people all the time, I am the church, we are the church, like we're doing church at coffee shops, we're doing church, at, you know, at, over pizza, we're doing church wherever we go, and there's an intention, and heck, I'm not even sure there has to be an intention, just being, and being 
believers, and I'm not even going to throw the word Christians in there. We'll get there in a second. But just being God-loving people, loving humans together, to me, gets closer and closer and closer to the definition of the church. And we say we believe that, and then we follow it up with, yeah, but. Yeah, but we need to go to church. Yeah, but we need to go to the building. Yeah, but if you don't, whatever, whatever, whatever. And usually it's filled with, you need to not neglect the fellowship, which is a nice, wonderfully soft-spoken law that we love to put on people. And Paul never meant it. If you go look at the context of that passage, it's not at all how people interpret it today, or at least how they use it. Yes, he was talking about not neglecting fellowship, but if you understand contextually what was going on and the danger of fellowship and the fear of of literally being murdered or imprisoned, that they were neglecting to fellowship out of fear. They were neglecting to, to be the church because they were afraid of what the repercussions would be. And I think that's a very legitimate encouragement on his part to say, guys, don't let your fear rule over your desire to meet. Don't let this don't let this ruin what you have. Yet we now use it as ways to convince our children that they're sinners if they don't go to church, even though they hate it, even though all they get out of it is separation from God and from others, and they just get a bunch of law. We hold that over them with no context of what Paul was talking about. Anyways, I digress. So if we're going to talk about what the church is, you know, first of all, there's two primary words in the scripture, Greek words in the scripture, that talk about, that are translated church. One is ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on how you pronounce it. And the other is koinonia. They're two very different words. And a vast majority of the time that that word is translated into church, a vast majority of the time that church is used, it's koinonia, which is simply fellowship, right? So when we're fellowshipping together, whether it is coffee or Sunday morning gatherings, or anything else, we are being koinonia. We are fellowshipping. We are living life together. We are doing life together. And when you add the religion to it, you're actually creating a completely different concept than what Christ or the apostles ever meant. Koinonia is fun. It's easy. There is no law. There's no. There's really no even need for ritual unless... You're a community that loves ritual, and then you're and you're choosing to bring in certain aspects. Then more power to you. But understand, you're just hanging out with your friends. And to me, that is a beautiful application for the word church. And it it's really open and free, and something that I have no problem with. It's when you add all of the obligation and the religion and the BS, if you will that it just becomes useless honestly it's all it's if you judge it by its fruit it has produced a vast majority of people who are still engaged are engaged under the law and those who aren't engaged barely have found a place to love god anymore um i have some very very close people in my life who because of these things uh church and the idea of church and talking about church is like kryptonite. And that sucks because it really should just be hanging out. It really should be when you hang out and go go have some coffee with your friend or have them over for a football game. Yes, I just said it. 
Sunday morning football or Sunday afternoon football can be church. (gasps) If you're a pastor or a former pastor, you know how sacrilegious that just was. And yes, I mean it. I've had some amazing, amazing church experiences at a party. I think Jesus did too. This is kind of weird, isn't it? Like he loved parties. Anyways, don't poke too many holes in it. (laughs) The other definition of church is the ecclesia or ecclesia. And this is a big deal. This is the one that Jesus says when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He uses the word ecclesia. He doesn't use the word koinonia. And ecclesia is a very specific word that I may be wrong. It may have been used one other time, but I think it was only used that time in scripture. Once, maybe twice, not a whole lot. And the meaning of the word, you actually have to go to other ancient texts of the time to find out what it means. And the ecclesia was the name of the governing body of Athens, Greece, 400 years earlier. It was the original republic of any known nation where every neighborhood and every, and every section of the city had a representative that went and sat at the gates. The gates, so remember what Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my ecclesia. So they would go and sit and the governing body would sit at the gates to the city. And if you realize back then when you don't have telephones and you most people can't write, you certainly don't have paper readily available, most governance, most uh, judicial dis, uh, process, most business processes had to be taking place in person, verbally. Obviously, really important things would be written down, but you're not talking about just writing little notes all over the place. Paper is not exactly this cheap and easily available thing. So you're talking a lot, a lot of details hammered out verbally. And where are you going to go in a city to do that? you have to have a central location. And so they had a few, and the main one being the city gates, because so much of the commerce of a city took place at the gates. All the farms were outside of the city, all of the traders that would come to the city. So what ended up happening in ancient civilizations was that the city gates became the seat of government. And so if you go back to the Old Testament, you go back to even the New Testament and references to gates Um, If you go even references to gates in the book of Revelation or gates of Jerusalem, you can insert the idea of government, commerce, trade, negotiation, legal discussion, and all of that stuff. That's essentially their version of the internet. That's where you went to get all of your stuff done. So the Ecclesia was the governing body of Athens that was the representatives of the city and they would go and they would serve terms in that governing body and then they would go home. Like I said, the original idea of a republic. And Jesus says, I'm going to build that. And if you can, it's not a big leap to just change the word. I will build my government and the government of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that makes a whole lot of sense when you realize that you get the other prophetic verses about the Messiah, that the government would be upon his shoulders. So if you're going to talk about church in the form of fellowship, it's easy, it's light, it's fun, and it's, and it's super non-challenging. Uh, it's just very approachable. 
If you're going to talk about church in the form of how Jesus meant it, in ecclesia form, it's actually significantly more serious and significantly more intentional than 99% of the buildings called churches. Because usually those buildings are built around the idea of koinonia, and then they try to add some version of, I don't know, what I mean, it's religion. They, they add religion. And yet, if you look at what Jesus meant, he's talking about the Josephs of the world. He's talking about the government of the world. He's talking about actually ruling the world, I believe. And if you look at the concepts that Christ carried with him, he regularly challenged the religious concepts and replaced them with very, very real-world consequences, very real-world actions, and very real-world results. And so to me, if you really want to talk church, you actually need to define which version of it you're talking about. I believe it's possible to have a community that does both. And that's kind of where I want to go with the next one is, so that's that's who, as far as the church goes, um, I don't know, it's obviously the people, but what is the church when you get into the thing of intention and what it is that we are coming for to do? Um, and that also overlaps with why, but I would define what is the church as far as the thing that the world needs is that the church is the kingdom of heaven. Um, the church is the tool that Jesus is using to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. You have, if you understand um, the fivefold ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the apostolos, or the apostle, uh, Greek word apostolos, is actually a concept that is largely lost on most denominations. Pentecostals kind of understand it, but even to this to to the basic historical realities of it, most I've found most do not have any idea that the Apostolos, surprise, surprise, had cultural context. When Rome would take over a new country or a new city, Rome knew after after years and years and years of failure that if you took over a city, and you left a bunch of shol- uh, <laughs> a bunch of soldiers there that given enough time if you ever had to pull the soldiers out the city would revolt and would immediately go back to what it was so you had to be this occupying force and you never actually turned a city into a roman city it was always just an occupied city so to address this they started changing how they occupied cities. And they would send a ship, and the ship was known as an apostolos. And that ship was filled with artists, uh, actors, uh, philosophers, politicians, business people, anything that carried the culture of Rome. They would send an entire ship full of Rome's culture, their art, their poems, their writing, their language, their science. They would take everything that Rome was as a culture and they would plant that seed in the city. And now the city's corners would have Roman outfits and they would have Roman art and they would have philosophers speaking at the local, at the local universities or academies. And over time, they found that you could turn that city into a Roman city 
to the point where you didn't need to occupy it anymore with soldiers because they were now Roman citizens. Because the culture of Rome was the thing that changed the hearts of the people. And it took time, but it was absolutely what the apostolos was for. And there are a few cultures that famously did not take, one of them being the Jewish culture, hence the destruction of Israel and and so many Jews in 70 AD. They tried to apostolos the Jews, and it just didn't work. But most of the cultures that Rome did this with became Roman in their in their hearts, um, especially the ones closest to Rome and the ones that have been the longest occupied. And so what is the church? What is the ecclesia of God or the ecclesia of God? It is literally this apostolos concept that we carry a culture into the world and just being us having our art, having our clothing, having our language and our philosophy, and just being us. We change a culture. It takes time, and it's certainly a patient man's game, but it is way better than coming to the world as this occupying force. And I think if you ask most people, they view the church as that. They view the, the, their normal presentation of, you need to get saved. I love the, if you haven't seen the meme, it's Jesus knocking on this door, and he says, uh, let me in. And the person on the other side of the door says, why? And Jesus says, so I can save you. And the person on the other side of the door says, from what? Jesus says, from what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. Like, <laughs> that's an occupying force if I've ever seen it. It's literally, if you don't let me in, I'm going to murder you. I'm going to take your house. I'm going to harm you in some way. I'm going to save you from me, the occupier, the army. And many sections of the church have taken on that language, this army fighting language. And yet to be the apostolos is to bring your culture and play the patient man's game and play the long game towards changing the world through just being us. That's what the ecclesia is. It takes so much pressure off of trying to save everyone. And I can't help but kind of bring in this idea that Jesus died for the whole world. And if you remove the pressure of trying to save everyone and you realize that he saved everyone, I don't know if you know that, 2,000 years ago, it says in John, 1 John, I think it's the beginning of chapter 2, that he died for not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world that all would be reconciled to him. If you really let that sink in, it tends to remove even more pressure from trying to go evangelize and save everyone. You just get to go love them. And yeah, absolutely. Tell them about Jesus. I would argue that you tell them about Jesus and don't let them go to a church and invite them over to your house. Go over to their house, go to their weddings and go to their parties and drink with them and do what Jesus did. Just love on them and just be with them and be a non-religious person. Be this amazingly beautiful, life-giving culture. Anyway, so if we want to ecclesia, if we want to be the government of God, then it really is about being the apostolos concept. The Koinonia one, uh, the, the, I'm not going to talk, I'm not, the rest of this chat's going to be about Ecclesia. It's going to be about 
for the most part, how we can be New Age Christian Church on the planet with this definition of church. And I have to kind of major on this reality that because we're entering a new age, I'm telling you, and I, and if you love what church has been for you, if you love the brick and mortar, if you love the senior pastor and the worship team and all that stuff, there are amazing models of what that could be. And I, I like, I love Bethel, right? Or, um, and what Bill Johnson, and those guys are doing is just stinking amazing. It's beautiful. And to me, it is kind of the John the Baptist of this last age where John, as Jesus says, that John was the greatest born of women, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And if you unpack that, what Jesus meant was of this last age, this age of Moses, the first covenant, it doesn't get any better than John the Baptist. It doesn't get any better than what he teaches, what he lives, what he preaches. Yet, guys, what I'm bringing, this is Jesus talking, what I'm bringing to the earth, the least of what you guys have is greater than what John has. And if I may be so bold as to say, churches like Bethel are, there is none greater. I, I think the model that they have that they have extended into the into the world is as beautiful as it gets when you have that senior pastor model, when you have that brick and mortar model, when you have that kind of structured model. And where does that model come from? Well, it comes from 2,000 years. It's no different than before, um, before Christ and a little bit after Christ. It's no different than all the commerce took place at the city gates. Well, the car culture switched to where all the commerce started taking, at least in the Western culture, all the commerce started taking place at the church. Seriously. If you consider for most of the last 2,000 years, all the science took place at the church, all the art came out of the church, the financial systems came out of the church, the governmental systems came out of the church, or at least major portions of it. Um, heck, I mean, you get in the crusades, you had the armies coming out of the church. The church became the city gates. The church became that concept. And as we get closer and closer to this new age, over the last four or 500 years in America and everything like that, the church became the central community hub around which towns were built. There's a reason that there's, a, that there's an old church at the middle of every old town because that was where life centered. And when you didn't have the internet, you didn't have phones, and you didn't have easy transportation, you had this pastor who had been trained and you would go, and he was your minister, he was your mentor, he was your your spiritual leader, and you probably didn't have a Bible. Heck, the Gutenberg Press is only a few hundred years old. People's literacy and the ability to read on, on for their own is only a couple hundred years old, if that. So if you go back and you realize that for 2,000 years, the most advanced form of being a Christian required a brick-and-mortar location with a trained individual who could lead you in your spiritual journey because you don't have a Bible to read on your own, if you can read. You don't have the capacity to go learn from these schools and universities and, and get the historical context and blah, 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 blah. So you're really limited and stuck to what it is that your local pastor knows. And maybe if you are a bit more advanced on a spiritual level, 
you could be someone who understands the realm of spirit and you are led by the Holy Spirit. And so you might have additional thoughts beyond your pastor, but for the most part, everything kind of centered around that physical singular model. And Bethel and churches like that to me are, are the peak of what that looks like. I applaud them. I love them. But I'm telling you, in a hundred years, I don't think that model exists much anymore. It will in various bits and pieces, but the primary model is going to become another advanced form of how, what is the best way to become the church. That has to include a discussion of the ages, and it has to include the discussion of all of the, tech to- the technologies and all the things that are in front of us. How do you learn when you don't need to go down to your local church? You Google it. What if you don't need, what if that pastor that's at your local church, you know, the last hundred years, we've kind of had this in-between version where, well, I don't like that pastor, so I'm going to go to that pastor. What we've been doing is we've just been physically doing what we do on the internet, what we do on YouTube. We've been physically trying to find our favorite teacher. And what it is, sure, on a shallow level, it is certainly about tickling my ears and I want to hear what I want to hear. But on a very real level, guys, don't feel bad for wanting to learn something. Don't feel bad for wanting to have a different teacher. I've had plenty of pastors that for a short season, they were amazing in my life. And then I got X, Y, and Z from them and I needed to move on to Q, R, and F. Well, what if they don't teach Q, R, and F? What if they don't teach the things that Spirit is telling me to find? Well, for about 100 to 200 years, it just meant we'll go to another church where they do teach that. And it's been so maligned and such a negative thing. Oh, they left our church. They're church hoppers, you know, stealing sheep from other churches. Guys, we're doing that very naturally on YouTube, right? We're Googling a teacher that speaks to us, that hits us right where we're at. And then when we're done, we move on to the next one. And somehow we've got this, this age that has failed to explain to us what we're moving from and to what we're moving to. I hope this teaching helps you have a perspective. If you're a pastor who's, who's watched people walk away from your church uh, and, and you've been told you're not giving them what they want, it's okay. It is not them. It, it might be some negative things, but it doesn't have to be this, oh, they're unfaithful. They don't love the local body. God's angry with them now. What if it is simply that the Holy Spirit is telling them to go learn something that you don't teach? Are you okay with that? For years, all I taught was typologies and heavy, heavy Bible stuff. And I had people who would have loved for me to teach the stuff that I know now about spiritual languages or finances or leadership. I didn't have those skills. I didn't have that knowledge. And so I couldn't teach it. But if somebody needed that, I would want them to go find it. So that's the change. That's the shift. And now we have the technology to do that from, from our pajamas on our computer, on our phones. Um, there are more and more tools coming out that can help you go further faster. There are more and more tools. Um, one of the ones I've, I've helped with in recent year is uh, theepic.org. It is kind of a curated list of teachings that we found, me and this group have found to be highly valuable. And it does cover a, a range, a gamut of topics. Um, and if you go check it out, there's a library there of, of other people's teachings that we've 
like I said, we found very helpful and, and it's kind of meant to be a bit of a shortcut to having to figure out what to find. Um, the worst thing about the internet or YouTube or anything is if you don't know what question to ask, you're not going to get an answer. So we've asked a lot of these questions, and so we share some of the answers we've, we've found on the Epic. And I'm working on some other projects that would begin to help that as well, including New Age Christianity. But this change and shift in the ages, when you add to it that it is no longer a requirement to have this local, physical, singular leader, that's the educated man thing, and you can shift to being virtual, hence a virtual church, you can shift to being global. You can shift to being subject-focused, right? You can shift to being a more of a mentoring or a coaching concept, which is what I'll be launching in the first of the year. And if you if you want to be mentored by me, if you want to be coached by me for a season, great. Once you've learned what you need to learn from me, I hope you move on. I hope you find another mentor and another coach. Because let's all keep growing. I'm constantly looking for mentors and coaches. Uh, and spiritual fathering, that's a big one for me. Jamie Englehart is my spiritual father. I've had spiritual fathers in the past. And so there's just a beauty to letting people move on. And the modern church, or the, the <laughs> I'm not even going to call it the modern, the last church system that's still in its sunset years, it doesn't let you move on. It, it mocks you or it, it uh, condemns you if you move on. And I think in this new age, when the concept of church is going, is getting bigger and it's no longer about this local small thing, but it is about this global reality that Jesus is doing, that logic is doing in humanity as a whole. And listen to podcast number four, if you want to know what that meant, that Jesus being logic, you can see, just insert that concept into this discussion and you can see why I I think the church is way bigger than just Christians. And way bigger than just people who say X, Y, and Z, therefore I'm in, right? It is what God is building. It is what Christ is building in the world as a whole. Joseph was a perfect example of the ecclesia of God. And he never knew the name Jesus. He knew the concept of God. He knew the reality of faith. And he knew belief in the power of what God could do. There's a lot of people who have that, have those pieces. Anyway. So that's who, what, when, where. So the where of this question, I've answered a lot of it in bits and pieces already, but for New Age Christianity, it is virtual, right? It's not just in a location. It's not just on Sunday morning, especially when you consider Koinonia. It's wherever you're at. It is seriously coffee. Yeah, I, let me encourage you to look at the next time you go have coffee with your friend or when you go visit your grandma in the hospital or whatever, view that as church and see if you don't walk away feeling even better than if you had just gone and had coffee with your friend. Because when you add the intention of Christ being in your midst and when you add the intention of I'm being church right now, it does something magical that I think is beautiful. And I think that is the value of attending church. That is the value of, of redefining these things. So it's not just local, it's not just physical, it is wherever, right now you and I are having church, right? You are listening to my thoughts on the subject and you are having a conversation with spirit, a conversation with yourself, 
you're having a conversation with logic and you may be going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Or you may be going, this dude is full of whatever and he's an idiot. I don't know. But I would call this church. And that's my intention with these podcasts. If you turn on that same intention, I mean, how beautiful is that? So wherever two or more are gathered, and it really is simply about intention. I believe church can happen on accident. I believe it happens all the time. I think it is kind of a silly... Uh, I don't know. It's it's not a silly definition in the sense that it's not valuable to talk about. Clearly, I'm doing an entire episode on it. But it is kind of silly that we have to like hold it up as this this thing that's outside of normal. Like you live and work and breathe and life. You do lifing seven days a week. Yet church is like, even if you hear me and you go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a coffee church now. Does it, is it really still only like one or two moments out of the week? Or is it really who you are all the time? And if you can flip the switch to that next level, where it's not even about intention for moments, but it's about an openness to just being the apostolos, to just being the kingdom of heaven, life begins to look, in an, it takes on an entirely different color. And one that I would argue is world-changing, certainly life-changing. And if the church started viewing themselves in that way, I think the world would be better for it. Which leads me to the last. So I don't do anything, anything, without asking why. Why church? Why New Age Christianity? Why do we exist on this planet? And to me, the answer is simple. To rule the world. <laughs> Like pinky in the brain. Seriously, our job is to rule the world without law, by the way. So when I talk about ruling the world, I want to uh, do this exercise with me. Close your eyes to the best of your ability. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. (laughs) Close your eyes and picture a perfect world. No sin no theft, no war, no sickness, none of that stuff. Now open your eyes. I want to ask you, in that perfect world, do people stub their toes? Like, is there pain in that perfect world? Like, walking around your house and you got kids and you're stepping on Legos and you get a bit frustrated with your children. You get frustrated with your son. You said you told him to pick up the Legos five times and he didn't. Is that sin? Is that pain and suffering? Does that not belong in your perfect world? What about car accidents? Right? So you're driving and You hit some ice and you slide and you hit another car. Now, obviously in this perfect world, that person doesn't die and they, and somehow survive whatever. But did you get in an accident? Did you get a fender bender? Did you, did you accidentally forget and you were late to a meeting? I think we have this idea that a perfect world is without mistakes. And that when we say nobody's perfect, a lot of times we don't mean that nobody is sinless because 
righteousness is a thing. It's a thing that, that is the reality for the believer who believes in their righteousness. So sinlessness is actually easy if you, if you look at it scripturally. It's, it's not a big deal at all. But when we say, most people say nobody's perfect, what they mean is people make mistakes. Well, yes. Uh, today, I'm recording this podcast, and I had, had to reschedule a meeting because I forgot I'm going out of town this weekend on business, and I realized, oh boy, I need to report my, record my podcast before I leave. And so I had to reschedule an important meeting for a couple hours later. I made a mistake. I didn't think, in a, I didn't think ahead. Does that make me imperfect? And so if the church's job is to rule the world that's not under law, and yet we believe that it is supposed to be heaven on earth, a perfect world, I would ask you, is it just the right amount of laws that keeps everybody in line? Is it just the right amount of police force that keeps everybody in line? Like, we have police, but they never have to do anything because it's nobody's breaking the law, right? And nobody's getting their flat tire and stuck, so the police don't have to help them. Like, doesn't it just not... It, when you really think about what you may have previously thought of as a perfect world you realize how silly it is. That perfection and no longer being under law has nothing to do with living a mistake-free existence. It also has nothing to do with living a pain-free existence. It has nothing to do with living in a world where seriously nothing breaks, nothing goes wrong, quote-unquote. I believe a perfect world is a world where when you have the car accident or when you stub your toe or when when you forget a meeting and you you make somebody wait for you, that you live the perfect law of liberty and life and love. That we submit ourselves one to another willingly and we don't need a court to force us to do so. You don't need the system of laws in a world where everyone is self-governed. As a matter of fact, the laws only empower sin. Scripture makes that abundantly clear. You can only break the law when someone has told you what the law is. I use this example all the time. You and I are walking down the street. The Spirit's working on me on being generous, and the Spirit's working on you on being wise with your money. We walk by a homeless person, he's playing guitar, and he has he has his guitar open and and. Spirit wants me to put $10 in. Spirit doesn't want you to put $10 in. And we walk by. I ignore Spirit. I don't put the $10 in. You ignore Spirit. You do put the $10 in. And we keep walking. From the outside, the homeless man still got his $10. But on the inside, it was a complete failure. Now apply this reality to the law. When you have a bunch of rules... That say, let's say you had a rule that says every time you see a homeless man with an open guitar case, you have to give him $10. I broke the law, you obeyed the law, right? And all the law did was serve as giving us a line that we should or should not cross. And yet the Holy Spirit was completely ignored. If you add that to any concept, and I mean it, any concept that The spirit is the law, liberty is the law, life and love is the law, then it becomes abundantly clear that a perfect world actually is perfect anarchy. It's perfect lawlessness to the point 
that love is the governing body. And submission to one another is absolutely the end result of the church. That we would be famous for our love for one another. That this love would spread the kingdom and the culture of heaven to the world. This to me is what the church is aiming for. This is why we church. This is why New Age Christianity exists. This is why, although I cannot stomach going into traditional churches for the most part, I would love to go to Bethel. I've never been there. I'm sure someday I will. Um, or churches like that, but most modern churches are just, I'm not even sure what to say about it. Let's just say I'm not a fan. So although I, I can't really do that version of church anymore, I'm here trying to build a virtual church. Well, this episode is my attempt to define what I mean by that. What is this church and why are we here? Who, what, when, where, why? This is the, the ecclesia of God, the kingdom of heaven, that we are in a new age where everything is changing and we're bra- embracing the virtual nature of it. We're embracing the ability to find whatever teacher suits your current path and we're embracing what it is to take over the world and let love be the governing reality. So, I hope this episode has given you some food for thought. I hope it's really... Uh, remove some of the condemnation from your past experiences, maybe. Um, we've all had a lot of pain from the church. We've all, I, I think, I don't know if there's anybody who hasn't. There's not a pastor or a child or an adult that I know who hasn't found some measure of significant disappointment in church experiences. And those who haven't, uh, more power to you. I love you. I think uh, the Spirit has probably got something special for you and um, in your future. <laughs> Not to be a downer, but just trust Spirit that he's going to uh, show you um, why it is you're even listening to this podcast. So I love you guys, as always, and Merry Christmas coming up uh, next week. I'm not sure what the subject will be, but uh, I am looking forward to it, and uh, have a great weekend. I will be down in Columbus, Ohio with some uh, good friends of mine working on a very exciting project that I'm looking forward to announcing soon. So have a good night. Talk to you later.